Hello everyone, I hope you are doing well. Congratulations on making it to the last episode, unless you skipped to the end, which in that case I am highly offended. Just kidding. Live your life. As you may remember from the first episode, this is an IRB-approved study conducted through Bay Path University. That means that in order for me to complete the process, I need to create a final project. Rather than doing a PowerPoint, I decided to record my findings as the last episode. I'm curious to hear what you think about the results of my study, and if you agree or disagree with any of it. Since it's qualitative and not quantitative, I sound so smart. There are different themes to be found, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on if there's anything I missed. Just don't be mean or I will cry. Just kidding. Anyways, for some background on how I compiled the results of the study, I transcribed all of the episodes and then broke them down by question into a master Google document. I pulled out common threads after asking myself some basic questions like what makes a program helpful and what are the long-term effects on the subjects. I'll list what I said and go into a bit of detail behind each bullet point. For the first question I asked, what are negative traits in a program I had? Not being allowed to contact friends and family was brought up explicitly twice for Trinity Teen Solutions and Compass Rose Academy. Both interviewees felt that this negatively impacted their stay, especially when it was censored contact. God-based fear was mentioned for Trinity Teen Solutions. That can understandably be a problem when it comes to religious-based therapeutic boarding schools. Favoritism was mentioned in the Perkins and Chamberlain episode, a feeling like some students were treated better and got more privileges. Inadequate learning experiences is an important one that was brought up in five of the six interviews. Many felt that they did not get the education they needed to succeed, and that there was no structure or thoughtful organization. Staff being there for a paycheck is a strong statement, but that's how some participants felt more officially that they had no support or training. Finally, in this question, I found that there was a correlation between low turnover rates and good experiences with staff versus a high turnover rate and bad experiences with staff. The second question I asked was, what can be done to make programs effective? First, I was struck by how helpful the Franklin Academy interviewee felt that their diagnosis being catered to was. Upon reflection, it makes sense. Each mental illness or neurological difference has a different treatment. What would work for someone with bipolar disorder might not work with someone who is on the autism spectrum. Other participants talked about feeling misdiagnosed, which leads me to offer the suggestion that there should be specific programs for specific or overlapping diagnoses. More structured group therapy as a rule also came up. Several subjects discussed feeling that group therapy was not actually therapy, but a place to complain without any solutions. Our first participant even talked about watching movies rather than having group discussions. Group therapy conducted by a qualified individual with a specific structure should be a requirement for these programs. Staff can make or break a program, as we heard from the interviewees. In the Perkins and Chamberlain episode, including the first and last episode, we heard about how being overwhelmed and having unhealthy staff can make students feel unsafe, lead to being groomed, and feel invalidated. These are all occurrences that these programs are supposed to prevent. In the Franklin Academy episode, the participant talked about how having staff as a positive role model helped them more than any talk did. 
in the Compass Rose Academy episode, we heard how the staff who sat and talked to students one-on-one were the most appreciated. Being overworked and underpaid is a serious problem in the mental health field that needs to be remedied. Mentally ill teens also need stability. High turnover rates disrupt that. Staff need to be trained better with a much stricter hiring process. They reportedly didn't all have degrees or prior experience in working with kids with mental health difficulties. This is something I firmly and deeply believe needs to be changed, and now I have the proof to back it up. Two of the six participants said outright that they had periods of time when they were not allowed to contact their family. Other participants reported that contact was often conditional. This negatively affected them emotionally. Not being able to openly talk about their experiences and being barred from seeing family were commonplace. In the Franklin Academy episode, the participant felt safer because he was able to contact family at all times. This leads me to believe that students should always have the opportunity readily available to speak and see their family. Censored contact needs to be stopped. Transparency connects with censored contact. An issue that came up in the first episode was the gaslighting and disbelief that follows mentally ill teens around, no matter how much proof is provided. Students in these programs deserve to be heard, and they deserve to be believed. Almost every interview touched on instances where their voices weren't being heard or were being infantilized. Quality of education was poor in all of the schools except for one. Trinity Teen Solutions and Compass Rose Academy primarily provided online learning and very little support, with no structure according to the participants. However, the students at the other programs, excluding Franklin Academy, also felt that they did not receive the education they needed to succeed, even with more traditional classes. The participants were placed in classes that did not meet their age-appropriate education level. Five out of the six participants mentioned feeling that they received educational requirements below what their peers outside of these programs were receiving. This was a combination of the classes provided, the way students were divided into grades, and disruptions to the classrooms not being appropriately handled. Disruptions are going to happen in mental health facilities, but having safe places where students can go to express their feelings and learn emotional regulation, rather than staying in the classroom or laying on the ground, would contribute to a healthier learning environment. Just because these students are dealing with mental health challenges doesn't mean that they aren't able to learn. We live in a society that values education. Being robbed of that equality means they are at a disadvantage to compete in the outside world. Several participants answered having laws across the board as being what they would change about therapeutic boarding schools if they could. Having a standard that the schools have to meet should be required. Hopefully, these answers can shed some light on that. The next question I asked myself was about the long-term effects of these programs. It seems that depression and anxiety, flashbacks, and reduced learning opportunities were common themes. On another note, increased school attendance was a positive for many of the interviewees. Overall, it was about survival, playing the game to get out on the other side. I am so grateful for your engagement in this important topic as we continue this work and looking at the effectiveness of therapeutic boarding schools.